English football to writer Robin Carmody argued on his Life Journal page is a metaphor for precisely what the neoliberals have done to England itself. But it's more than a metaphor. Football has been at the forefront of the total re-engineering of English culture, society and economy brought by neoliberalism over the last 30 years. Neoliberalism presented itself as supremely realistic, as the only possible realism. It told us that utopia is impossible because there is no such thing as society, only individuals pursuing their own interests. What better image of this anti-utopianism is there than the premiership, with its imperious, untouchable elite of clubs, its synergy with multinational media conglomerates, its conspicuously consuming players, its super-predatory club owners buying success like they are buying another yacht. Competition, exploitation, a strong lording it over the weak, Paparazzi snaps of the fabulously wealthy masters of the universe players exiting nightclubs, flashing their very new money. Football as anti-egalitarian Nietzschean combat. Forget utopia. Deem instead, if you are young, of eventually becoming like this, of owning these she-sire mansions, of getting a cyborg sleek walk. If you are too old to even lace up those ultra-branded boots, Get used to being inferior, to never making it. Dream instead of media transfiguration via reality TV or of a lottery win. Yet, the premiership is often treated as if it were a cause rather than an effect. In the lack of a coherent general critic of capitalism, complaints about the inflation of players' wages makes no sense. After all, it is not public money being redistributed. Players' spiraling wages are a consequence of the very market dynamics that, until last year's bank crisis, were held to be sacrosanct. You can detect a sour anti-working class resentment, shared by self-hating elements of the working class itself, in the attack of football's undeserving rich. But all of this, the players' high wages, the exorbitant ticket prices, is an effect of football's total subsumption into post-Fordism capital. But what if it was not like this? What if there had been another way? Now on BBC One, the highlights of the match of the day. Later this evening, on the news with Kenneth Partridge, we go into the trouble with the Scottish independence referendum, its ties with the kidnapping of the former Prime Minister, and relay a message from our very much alive Queen as she travels the Commonwealth. We finish with the threat of Cybermen coming to our green and pleasant land. After that, at 9pm, the conclusion to the tennis match between RMC Hops and Paisley. We open in the city of London, not on the city of London, within the city of London, but the city of London, former capital of the British Empire. And we close over the West End as we approach Buckingham Palace. Inside what is supposed to be the state rooms of the Buckingham Palace, but the editor sent the artist a note that this does not look like the expectations of the Buckingham Palace. 
So instead, each panel is carefully drawn to be as close as possible to the location which they expect Buckingham Palace to look like, namely Lancaster House. Here we see various diplomats going down corridors as they meet to solve the latest crisis in which a time traveler from the distant year of 2022 has came into the past and this time traveler, Alba Coriolis, has seized the former prime minister of the country and is holding them until they see justice because according to this time traveler message if she is to escape the country the snatcher is gonna lead to the third world war by starting conflicts in across the four continents in which there are nations of the commonwealth and eventually lead an attempt to retake the british isles their main goal is to avoid this future but what happens to the snatcher is up to the people of this timeline to decide. And so they are currently waiting for a decision from the United Nations and the British government about who and what will decide what justice comes to and how her crimes against humanity and war crimes will be measured by history. And we see John Doe going down the state rooms down the corridors as he is going to have a meeting about that in a few moments. So, how is John Doe handling this unusual assignment? For, it's unusual to see John Doe in anything other than what has truly become world-renowned as his uniform. Some sort of tank top, jeans, sensible shoes. Here, uh, recognizing the importance of this mission, John Doe is wearing a very nice set of khakis, a proper Oxford shirt with a black tie over it, a trench coat simply to keep warm. And the only sacrifice to his original uniform for his own comfort is a pair of very sensible, comfortable shoes. John Doe is nervous as he's walking out. He's nervously making a quick snack of a granola bar, keeping his eyes about him because whatever groups of nations like this get together, like even something like this that they should agree on, it usually gets messy. And so it's this determined but nervous look as he's walking down these hallways towards this next inevitable meeting. Yeah, speaking of messy, so this fate in particular, well... Any fate pertaining to the, the future of the biggest exporter of independence days of the world is of particular interest to the non-alignment movement and the third world factions. Yeah, of course, this includes the Cybernetic International, but uh, it is not the usual John Doe assignment. So what happened to the first person assigned to this and how have they somehow given offense, and I'm using air codes here, to the British, and so they recall them. I mean, the, the logical first choice would have been someone who is, A, more respected than John Doe in an intellectual field, and B, with a power more suited for defending groups of diplomats, so it probably would have been Lens Flair. But Lens Flair is a scientist and is someone who can be a bit blunt, and I, John Doe doesn't know exactly what happened. He knows that there was a brief discussion where Lens Flair 
gave an answer to this question, this question of uh, where the former prime minister should go and what she should stand trial for. That was probably right, but incredibly rude and blunt. And the next thing John Doe knew, uh, Lens Flair was actually the one calling me like, hey, John, you're tagged in. It certainly helps that John Doe has a look and presence. John Doe looks like the kind of person you would want at this meeting because Lens Flair has his flair for suits, but is a clear member of the third world. A lot of the first and second world nations prefer John Doe because he looks like one of them. Yeah, and it's definitely the case with the English, as that as the way that they titled treated Lensflare showed how out of touch they are with their place in the world and that it was a clear signal of their fallen empire syndrome and uh, their obsession with uh, punching above their weight class. But uh, John Doe was also not the second one. There was also an- another name proposed and they actually got to go to London, but uh, something happened that made them so pissed that they relented the job. And that's when they called John Doe. So who was and uh, what caused what did the English did that caused them to get really pissed off that uh, even as diplomats, they just decided, no, I'm quitting. I cannot handle this. Fuck you. Fuck these islands. I'm out. I mean, after a lens flare, they looked around the room and honestly, due to her commitment to pass, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, little Subrana doesn't like to use her super strength for combat. Yeah, they don't. Uh, as well as their uh, light creations. Yeah, they prefer to use their healing powers. And Subrana has that light creation ability. They're, again, a natural choice for defending a group of diplomats. I have a distinct... Once again, John Doe is often kept... Uh, on the other side of these incidents because John Doe can also be a hothead. John Doe can also fly off the handle. He's He tries to be reasonable but is not perfect. Nobody is. But Subrata, all that John Doe knows is there was some sort of an altercation in London and Subrata woke John Doe up in Santiago. was like, hey, you're going to England and I will never step foot on the island again. And there's a hub that has blow that the front of it is blown out of that several diplomats have complained they cannot go back to and John Doe doesn't know what happened but he makes some assumptions I just see Sabrana just like throwing open the door to John just like hey John they want you to go to England what I thought you were going to not anymore throwing a shirt and pants at him and then leaving <laughs> as you are going down this corridor you are ambushed by a towering figure and a smaller figure, the representative of the European communities and the representative of the United Nations. So on his red suit is a massive brown Syrian bear with uh, some uh, fancy round uh, eyeglasses. He's adjusting his tie and next to him is the tiny figure of Rosa Clays, a former Belgian diplomat that is now working for the United Nations after a failed attempt at becoming president. Yeah, they intercept you and nonchalantly ambush you. And uh, so Hojak, the representative of the European communities, uh, salutes you with a big paw. Oh, John Doe, ah, what's the delight to meet you here. Oh, what? 
Wojak, it's a pleasure. And Rose, a pleasure. Uh, as he's like quickly tucking a granola bar wrapper in one of the pockets of the trench coat. How can I help you? Yeah, we are just talking about uh, how these unfortunate affairs could be solved quite fast. I mean, that's what I do believe uh, one of my predecessors felt. Probably both. And Raza nods. Yeah. So the thing is, we should just contact Alba Coriolis, tell Alba Coriolis to drop the Snatcher into Rotterdam, and she will await on Rotterdam on the installations of the United Nations for whatever is going to be decided. I think that is the best agreement, right? There's no need to get tangled into messy nonsense. That's the proper protocol, yeah? The problem is, and you know this as well as I do, that half the people in this palace don't see it that way because they want a piece of old Maggie. And I don't want to be... And as much as I give this time traveler a lot of credit, I'm sure time travel is incredibly difficult, never done it myself except forward. I don't imagine it's exactly something easy to do. And let's just say that I wouldn't want half the nations of the world gunning for me because I was the reason I didn't get my piece of the pie. Well, we can always... And Raza looks at Hojek, and Hojek takes off his glasses and cleans them up. Speaking about that, it would be plausible that, uh, let's just say, you discreetly get to Glasgow and uh, you take the former prime minister by force. As you mentioned, that the time traveler must be quite exhausted after both the time traveling and the, the kidnapping of the prime minister. Look... Taking people by force isn't my dig or System 4's. Let's settle this with negotiation. That's why we're all here. In addition, to be totally honest with you, if everyone decides to play by force, Glasgow's going to be a battleground. I'm afraid it's going to be too late to, to that. I mean, after the referendum, the conservative government, they, they did not acknowledge it, right? And... The new government has still to make any decision, but the, the troops that the Tories send up north, they're still occupying Scotland. I think battle is going to happen one way or another. A battle between groups of normal people is one thing. A battle between groups of superhumans that normal people are caught up in. I'd rather not see another historic city laid waste to like that. And there's still the hope, and I'm confident that we'll be able to work out a peaceful solution where everyone gets their piece of the pie. Oh, laddie, that's that's something that is too late for that, isn't it? And uh, you hear a voice coming from behind you, and uh, you see a tiny woman on her mid-late 30s, and uh, you recognize her as... Margaret Nicomhane, hero of the Irish liberation. But the British will probably use all their adjectives to describe her. And uh, you know she is a terrifying superpowered individual, especially here, because not only she is an expert on the paranormal, what uh, other people might even call a witch, but she will not use that denomination. But uh, Marguerite also gets more powerful the more lies are said on her presence. And she was just sent as diplomat by the Irish Republic to London. And again, the more lies around her, the more powerful she gets. So you have absolutely no idea what she's packing now. 
For example, my fine fellow uh, diplomats, I'm sure here that if it was up to Marjorie, uh, <laughs> and hopefully she will be eager for the slice she gets, I'm sure exactly which slice of the pie Marjorie would prefer. Yeah, but Ireland is a small country, and uh, you have the backing of most of the nations of the world and two-thirds of the population. Most of the people are going to agree with whatever decision you make. So, do the Irish can claim that uh, they have more precedent about deciding this? And Margaret just said, yes, we claim that. No people has suffered more under the British than the Irish. And Hawkshack coughs at that. John Darrell's... <laughs> Margaret, you know, we get along. Let's look. We'll all... We've still got the peaceful solution. We'll all get a slice. I think that is the best way to look at this. No, the best way to look at this is when you talk about uh, Nagy's war crimes, they were all committed. Well, most of them, they were committed on Irish soil against Irish people. Not to mention what she did to other Gaelic people during the last months of her government. If she has to answer to someone, East was, not to an ineffective organization like the United Nations. Now, 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 let's all stay civil. Civil? The British were civil as they occupied Ireland. I mean, there's a very dark civil war joke in there, but I won't make it. It's not my place. Look, we'll figure it out. We've got the best diplomats in the world working. Personally, well, I don't have a personal opinion because that's the smartest way to look at this issue. There are a lot of people who deserve a slice of old Maggie. Marjorie, you definitely fall into some into one of them. I'm sure we'll find a solution that's equitable and workable. Em, I'm sorry I'm butchering your name. I'm trying. My brain keeps trying to go a different pronunciation. And I respect your claim about Maggie. And you'll get your shot at her, Em. I promise you'll get something. But we'll find an equitable solution between all the nations after she hurt. Yeah, I also want to apologize to my Celtic cousins for pronouncing Gaelic words like the old people. Calcor language. Also, no, deaf. So there's that. But anyway... Then perhaps you should stop arguing at the door and just come inside. You hear an exhausted voice. See? Let's go on in. Let me get the door. Yeah, and uh, the four of you, you enter the meeting room and sitting at the end of the table with a pile of folders and the telephone is the prime minister of the country. And you know that uh, he was being elected is a weird choice of words. Basically, he organized any anyone to the right on the Labour Party and a few fringe elements, the Liberal Party and uh, whatever conservative had not fallen in disgrace and got them all lumped together in the Socklip Dams. And uh, they basically rolled this way on the Russian elections. And uh, wh what can you tell from the way that uh, he looks? How this grab for power and strange coalition has been working out for him, being supposed to top dog. He 
not paranoid because you can't see paranoid. You can only really hear it, but looks incredibly nervous in that that constant checking of paperwork, that occasional look around the room, because whenever a strange coalition grabs power in a vacuum, there's always the fear that the next guy underneath of you is going to seize power in the classic way. I imagine that there's a coffee maker in the room to suit this this nervous a coffee pot and a teapot because uh, that way he knows for sure where the cup he's getting is coming from, what's going in it. And otherwise, an eagerness to get this matter settled because uh, after this matter is settled, clearing the decks of the enemies, be it hopefully peacefully, is next in order. Speaking of cleaning the decks of enemies, sitting right next to him is U.S. representative Eric Kissinger. So, John Doe, uh, when was the last time that you were in the same room with Eric Kissinger? In that infamous meeting we've mentioned a couple of times, where uh, Liana, who had introduced John Doe to System 4, and him met in New York uh, during the dust-up with the supervillain that led to that meeting, Henry Kissinger was there. John Doe and Henry Kissinger were having a heated debate over something when the supervillain interfered. And John Doe shoved him to the ground, not out of a cruel meanness thing, but out of a, oh no, there's a supervillain here. But uh, as the love affair with the media between John Doe has always been, there was definitely a New York Times cover that was maniac wandering superhero shoves beloved U.S. figure to the ground. There's not tension, but definitely a moment of awkwardness is just <sighs> Kissinger. Ah, I see that uh, they have sent John Doe as representative prime minister. I think this should wrap up things out because there can be said many things about Mr. Doe, but he's always a reasonable man that will see reason. John Doe, just there's that hard look at Kissinger. Just, all right, let's get down to this. Try and resolve this quickly. I was just saying that the United States will always back their allies and the former prime minister, as well as the current one, has always been a good ally of the United States. We would like to see her safely extradited and wait on New York for any decisions. I think we can all agree that the present must be decided by the present, not by some weird superhero individual that claims to be from the future. I think that we've already established a very firm precedent in history of dealing with European war criminals within Europe. I don't see any reason that should be broken, and I don't think any of the delegation here feel disagrees with that. As I'm looking around the room to make sure everyone's agreeing with me because I am not extraditing the snatcher to fucking New York City... And Margaret turns around. Well, there are concrete matters at hand. We still have to decide how the crimes that are still being levied by the people, occupied by the British, is going to, are being handled now. And that cannot be divorced from what happens to the snatcher. The question of the devolution of Ireland still remains. And the very tired... Prime Minister opens the folder and slides it towards Margaret. We are willing to offer the Irish people the same deal that is going to be reached with Scotland or, well, depending on their decision, Wales. We're going to have the same process of devolution, 
if it happens at all. There may be something to agree between those parties. And you can see that uh, she's going to reply with something as this immediately puts them on the back foot, especially considering that the role that uh, the Scottish played on uh, Irish colonization. And before she can do it, the Prime Minister raises a finger. Furthermore, there cannot be integration for the next 20 years. What? Indeed, we need to see that the, the Protestant people living in Northern Ireland, that uh, their interests are protected and they are able to integrate society of a devoluted territory or a given time to decide their face elsewhere rather than they becoming suddenly a minority in the Irish Republic. These 20 years periods is essential to see their safety. Margaret, if you wish, and I'm like, and I know she's probably looking at this, whatever this agreement is, I will more than happily have experts in legal documents and system for look over that and help you with it. I agree that the suffering of your peoples is important and should be alleviated as part of these arrangements. And while I do not think they should take a second place to it, I think that we need to clear the air about what to do with the snatcher. And as we're clearing the air of that, we can clear the air on that piece of information. And Rosa Kleis offers, the United Nations will stand vigilant over this process. There's nothing to worry about. And Margaret gives her a look as if she just farted aloud in the room. Uh, Rosa... We respect that, but Cybernetic International is business to help the third world represent itself, and that is why I offered that. It has nothing to do with the UN. And Hojik opens his mouth wide and gives a soft growl. Ah, but my friend, Jean Doe, this is not a third world nation that we are talking about. The Irish Republic is a prestigious member of the European communities. I am the one that is representing their interests here. Don't you think you are overstepping yourself? I am merely offering. Margaret can feel free to say no. Well, Jack, you know how well you and I get on. I'm not overstepping. Well, he is going to say something, but that's when you hear a distant explosion. And as the explosion is still dying out and the wind is shaking a bit, the, the telephone rings and... The Prime Minister picks up. Yes. Mm-hmm. I see. To shreds, you say. Hmm. How about the United Commander? Hmm. To shreds, you say. Thank you. And he puts down the telephone. My good friends, it seems we're going to have to delay this meeting. There has been another bomb threat. I advise you retire for today. We will resume negotiations tomorrow. It's... <sighs> Another bomb threat. That sounds like a little more than a threat. But, all right, let me get the door for everyone. Let's go. Does anyone else need escorting? As I'm opening the door. And I see everyone on the rush to leave. And uh, as you leave, you see coming down the corridor with the trolley full of luggage is the other member of the international that uh, has come with you, Stafford Beer. Uh, pre preparing to leave, Professor? Yes, Jando. I I am ready. Uh, you're gonna have to catch the 
train in one hour. I was wondering if uh, you could take me there. Otherwise, I'll call a cab. Professor, you know, I won't. I, of course. Of course, Professor. Are, are you sure you want to depart today? There was just a bombing. I suppose this is going to be happening a lot today. If my train is still leaving, murder isn't part to Wales. I have a lecture in Goglet Dinners tomorrow. I would, if possible, not avoid this one. It's already rescheduled twice. John Doe, as Stafford reaffirms the fact he's going to leave for Wales, John Doe kind of visibly deflates a little bit and just, oh, can I take your bags at least? Sure. All right, let's go. you're going to the train station catching a cab's probably the safest but also probably the least secure i don't know if john doe is legally able to drive because he doesn't have like a legal identity yeah we'll take a taxi i don't want to consider all the paperwork that i'm going to getting john doe a temporary driver's license <laughs> yeah and uh, so you get to a cab and uh, the taxi driver seems to be in a bad mood and there is this weird silence during the journey so you don't know when you're gonna be able to talk with Pierre uh, again so John Doe, do you try to make any conversation? I'm gonna very careful. John Doe looks at the cab driver and does that careful check over to make sure it's not obviously like I mean granted a world with shapeshifters there's a decent possibility that anyone could be a sleeper agent but to make sure it's not obvious, like, oh, this this guy is clearly an assassin. Like, and as soon as he gets some confirmation of that, uh, Professor. Yes, John. Are you sure I'm the best fit for the uh, task I'm on? I don't know if I'm the most competent person to decide that, but you're the one that were called for it. I remember early during the the development of the human emancipation program. I was well, I was one of the representatives of Chile and I can tell you I was far from the best person in fact last time I was here I basically had to evade the country uh, people were quite hostile to our ideas here. I thank you thank you professor and I don't know if you know anything about this I know that sometimes these issues aren't handled by you and sometimes what's with Woke Jack what's with the bear do you know anything about him? He seems like a friend and then quickly an enemy. And I don't know if that's just normal politics or him particularly or just the way that I interpret him. Well, he's a lawyer and he represents the European community. And they are as bloodthirsty neoliberals as you can find. And uh, they don't have the qualms of the Americans that prefer to do their neoliberalism in space. They are quite ruthless, and they want to squeeze you for the last cent that you have them. I I had to negotiate with them a lot before, and I can tell you, I regret every time that I had to. Okay, that at least explains that. <sighs> they would like to see whatever remains of Britain to become another source of cheap labor or a consumer of last resort. You know, 
is Polish and Scottish and both nations. They have a lot of things that they need to dump on the market, destroying the industry of the rest of Britain as a heart on the process of doing to the industry of Ireland and make this a place where can, they can just dump commodities. It's going to be great for them. So they have strong interest in pacifying the region. They cannot do that if there is open warfare or, you know, someone else takes over the country, someone that is not a liberal. Professor, and I look, and John Doe is so incredibly nervous. He's doing the nervous tapping his fingers on the uh, on the arm of the door. Professor, I'm worried that this issue is going to and if it turns too violent, I'm just me. Lensler would know to talk his way out of it. Is it going to accomplish anything we're going to be more important than if there's going to be violence or not because in the state that things are violence is already happening people are not usually prone to to bombings if they have alternatives i mean i know that i just i don't want a repeat of the auction that i'd rather avoid that at all cost well, the situation at hand makes the auction look like a joke. Especially if the potential that the former prime minister can still trigger a, a world war is at hand. If there was any kind of violence that you called to to prevent this type of conflict, will you do it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'd prefer to do no violence, but people don't just come from the future because an inconvenient thing that could happen. I'd rather fight every person in that room than let that violence happen. Well, the thing is, the current affair is a violent one. You you are falling to the same trap which everyone living to a crisis falls. You're looking at the crisis and thinking, well, how do we return to a, a state that is not of crisis? But you are comparing it to a state which was already in crisis because what we see now is a state in collapse it's a wave crashing down the normal state is long gone it was a state of crisis that was trying to avoid another collapse before and it was calcified violence is already integrated on this normal do you think it's fair if it is done by an institution an individual do you think that Having the authorization of the UN is going to make this right? No, not at all. I, I think that, I mean, that's part of the problem. How do I argue with Margaret? I think she's right. But I know that if I go in there and say Margaret's right, it's not going to go even in her and her people's favor. I don't know. Honestly, if I have to say, I would say that Margaret is not trying to get anything I think she knows that she'll not get this, but she knows as long as this is not solved, the Irish going to have more leverage to pressure the government and the European Union on other aspects. My opinion is that she actually does not want to do this. She's going to make a lot of noise, but she will prefer this to not be resolved. I think you're probably right, Professor. Well, I have to see what I can do for Wales now. If the people want evolution and what path they will choose. There's a lot of people. They were union folk and they were with labor. 
that now are questioning. And I guess they can get involved with the luckies. With the luckies, they don't like the computer very much. A lot of the people that are leaders of the luckies now were exactly the people that spoke against the human emancipation project and uh, my role in it caused me to flee the country and that attacked Chile in the press. I will be careful around that as you're probably going to have to face some of that while I definitely have to tangle about of that back home. But I hope that you're going to do quite well there. In fact, you will actually do much better after I leave and I'm no longer associated with the diplomacy of the cybernetic international. It's better to leave you handle it. You don't... I have a reputation here that is only going to drag you down. Professor, and I think you'll do great back in your home country. I, th- I think they're ready. We'll see. Perhaps they might refuse us and they might go with the luckies, which they hope. Well, is there them the best of luck? But I advocate the... The ideas that I do, I, I am at the point in my life in which I don't have to go around with ideas which I don't believe. I advocate them for a reason. I hope they listen to me. I think they will, Professor. I think they will. So, you finally got your break that you promised yourself. Hi, man. How did you get up to organize this long desired fishing expedition. I think this is a relatively routine thing for him when he gets the chance to take like a real fishing trip. He has two separate tackle boxes. He has the main tackle box, which he just like, that's just when he goes out with Enrique, just kind of out for a day. And then he has the bigger one, which has a lot of more specific like lures and just all sorts of different stuff like that, that he kind of keeps pristine I'm pretty sure if this was the day of a big fishing trip that he was excited about, he probably would have gotten everything ready the night before. Probably has plenty of, like, snack foods organized in such a way that he would, you know, be able to access them quickly and pass them out to anybody or everybody else on the boat. Has extra fishing poles. I think he doesn't know necessarily what Joachim's used to working with as far as, like, fishing technology i don't know if i think he it's kind of a blank spot for him where he wouldn't know if it's just like are you something modern with like a reel or is it literally just like piece of string on a stick so he would have brought something fairly nice and is kind of ready to explain that i think he would have chartered a boat for the day he is bringing enrique but he has given enrique a stern talking to about not making yokim have a bad time because yokim's new to chile and we want to make welcome yeah i think everything is like it's very much Johnny gets excited about this kind of stuff the way little kids get excited about it, but he's just very low key about it. So he has all of his clothes laid out the night before he's ready to like, you know, he's planning on picking up breakfast. He has the whole thing just planned out ahead of time. I think it's just a relatively small motorized riverboat. So, I mean, there's a little space for us to get up and walk around, but not like a ton of it if we need it. You know, there are three freestanding like bucket seats so that we can kind of sit down comfortably. And yeah, I think it's fairly, fairly simple and straightforward. There's probably like, I'm, I'm assuming this is probably the type of boat that is chartered for fishing trips pretty regularly. So I imagine that there is probably bespoke space for you to put things like tackle boxes and rods and like all of that sort of stuff. There's like racks and everything for that kind of built into the sides of it. So it's a relatively newfangled thing, but it, it has a built in radio. It, it wasn't something he was looking for, but when he had chartered the boat and found out that it was there, he is just he's he's tickled by that idea so uh, i'm gonna go with brad's suggestion here it's called the gift horse all right so joaquin 
how do you take to this way of going on a fishing expedition and uh, what is for all purpose a tiny crew of only two persons and how are you getting ready for this holiday weird Joachim is looking at all the tackle and all the poles and just not sure if they're frowning or just sort of confused look on their face like why do you need all this stuff for fishing I mean all we need is this line and this uh, spear I mean listen you're not wrong at the at sort of the, the basis of it uh, yes all we need is the line and the spear however all these little doodads they each have sort of a unique purpose they each kind of cater to different fish fishes fishes tastes I don't know that, that can't be the right way of saying that. I'm not a I'm not a professor of English anyways the point is that uh, you know we just got a little uh, it's 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 almost like experimenting you know you just kind of try certain things out see what works for you see what gets you the what gets you sort of the biggest catch it's not necessarily uh needed but it but it is fun oh you want a big catch eh? well maybe we can catch some of Jormungandr's spawn I'm sure there's some out here are we going in the ocean or the river uh, we're mostly staying on the river. Hey, what was that word you just said just then? Oh, you know, sea monster. Oh, I haven't encountered many sea monsters, really. I'm going to be honest about that. So I wouldn't get your hopes up too high. But, like, you know, nothing's impossible. I will say this. If we do encounter a sea monster, we do need to get the boat out of the water sort of quickly as possible. I do have to return this. It's not mine. So. Oh, understood. We got it. It's yeah, it's, I mean, I just like, I mean, you know, it's, uh, worse come to worse, we can pay for it, but I'd rather I'd rather not have to, you know, because uh, then if I try to go back and rent a boat again, they're going to be like, hey, it's you, the guy who blew up a boat, and that would, that would, I would feel bad. Very well. Well, how was the weather during the fishing trip, Iron Man? I think in the early part of the day, it was one of those days where it seemed like it, it could go either way. It was kind of like gray and sort of a little bit misty to the point where it seemed like it's like, hmm. Will it rain? Won't it? But around mid-morning, I think it clears up and it's just like nice and sunny. And uh, yeah, it's fairly it's fairly pleasant outside. Um, so it's not like it's not hot, but it's just warm enough to be, you know, just a little pleasant. Maybe, to, you know, help you relax a little bit. I think after the mist sort of clears up periodically, Johnny will pull out a cigar and, and puff on that. Obviously offers one to, to Joachim and to Enrique, but he only offers. He doesn't. The first one. On the first one, he just has that one for himself, and then the second one, he offers one to Enrique because Enrique is old, and we don't need to we don't need to be you know endangering his health any more than than he already has. So, how the long hours and stretching days of fishing go? I think on the on the first day, especially, there is a lot of like Johnny pulling out a lot of unique lures and just explaining. Now, this attracts this kind of fish, and blah blah blah. And this is like sort of a thing they like. If you go ahead and just flick the rod like this, you know that's how you that's how you draw their attention. And he just does a lot of stuff like that. The catch on the first day, I think, is probably biggest one. And second day is a little bit slower, but you know it's kind of it's really not that big of a deal because we are still just like having a weekend fishing. So you know who who would. They would feel bad about that. Third day, I think we also get a, a surprisingly good haul. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty productive little weekend. Um, How's Brother Kid handling it? Uh, pretty well. Mostly they're singing and drinking. Probably took a puff of that cigar and they just kind of coughed a little bit. 
Also, I think that Johnny is trying to introduce him to Merle Haggard and, and to Johnny Cash and being like, these are the these are the folks who are essentially the songsmiths of a generation. All right. That's like they have they, they speak the plight of the working man in America. Just people don't really get it yet. Understood. Yeah, I think it's specifically after after Joachim is like singing songs. Johnny's just like, hey, let me uh, maybe just like check some of this out. See what you think. Well, here's what, so here's what we can do. What we can do is we can just play, uh, I think, about 12 uninterrupted minutes of songs of Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. I think that would be in no way a problem for us. This reminds me of every fishing trip I've been on now. <laughs> Joachim's just tossing a line out there trying to catch something with his hands, like the old style. Not even a spool, just a... a it's like uh, uh, some sort of gut wire and uh, a hook trying to bring in these fish. And if they spot something in the top of the water, they definitely go for it with their spear. How well does that work? Uh, not too well. Because I think Joachim was more trained to be in the religious warrior class rather than the fishing. But they do enjoy like going out on fishing trips. They just were not as good as someone who's dedicated their life to fishing like if anybody knows about you know spearing fish the fish is actually a little bit to the side from where you see it because of the refraction of the light so berserk here misses quite a bit a few times and just throwing on random bait just doesn't seem to be catching uh the fish as well as what uh because they're just like oh here is uh Nightcrawler or a worm or some sort of meat and just tossing it over. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. How long it takes for anyone to comment on the drinking choice? Nothing but the finest. We're drinking Budweiser, baby. Absolutely. (laughs) Which I feel I have a hunch that Yoki is just just fucking hates. This is water. This is like flavored water. This is worse than that brown coffee stuff that you give me. I see. Here's the whole. Now, 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 hold on. Now, here's the thing. That's kind of the appeal. All right. Think of it more as water that is that tastes vaguely like beer rather than beer that is bad. That way you can just say you're drinking water. It just feels it feels more natural. Does the job, I guess. Poorly. How does Enrique feel about this? I wonder. Enrique drinks it, but. It's free. He, every time he cracks one open, he has the defeated eyes of someone that knows better than to complain and have this conversation yet again with Johnny. So it's just, yeah, it's just defeated. It's just drinking it like it's water. Now, more interesting question. How difficult it is to get Budweiser's now? I was thinking that too. <laughs> like you... Oh, it is an ordeal. It's very difficult. Um, Johnny goes out of the way specifically. Like, he will order. It has to be like bulk orders of cases just uh, so that he can bring them on fishing trips because that's what he grew up just like, you know, having on fishing trips or whatever. The thing is that he doesn't like this is just kind of what he presents on the first day. And then when we get to sort of the end of the day, so we're back like sort of on shore. And I guess we didn't really talk about this because as far as just like how we're passing just the nighttime part of it, I assume we have like a camp, right? That was kind of what I was envisioning. How do you feel about that? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Because the boat seems like something that was not big enough for to have sleeping quarters or at least enough sleeping quarters. No, absolutely not. 
Yeah, so I was measuring, we just kind of like, we, we just sort of tether it to, next to some land, and we have like a full, like, relatively, I don't want to say like over the top, but very like expansive kind of camping setup. At which point Johnny reveals that he also has a couple extremely nice bottles of bourbon that he's brought for this occasion. Uh, and I think he also did try to procure whatever the nicest, probably Chilean beer is that he can get locally. Like something that, like a, a lot more artisan, something that someone probably took some serious pride in. I don't know if that would be from the same place that we got the beer for the housewarming party. Probably. Probably that whole awkward scene of them asking, so you and uh, Soena still good? Oh, 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 uh, uh, Superana. This is at, this is at the, the, probably us picking it up. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I was like, I don't know, because I feel like, I feel like Johnny would have probably made the... You weren't there. Huh? Yeah, you weren't there when we got, like... No, 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 I was, I was not. I heard about this secondhand. Yeah. And how does, uh, Iron Man feels about hitting this second wet? You know... I think privately he's probably chuckling at Subarana in the sense of just like, oh, you just like, you know, this is like, it's just, of course, of course, this is what you're, you're, how you're conducting yourself or whatever. I feel like he doesn't particularly care too much about sort of what Subarana gets up to. And uh, yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he's particularly, this, it's, if anything, it's just like a little amusing. It's just like, oh, that's word gossip. Anyways, it has nothing to do with me and I'm not interested <laughs> which I know is a very boring answer, but that's kind of the, the sort of guy that Johnny is. But yeah, he would have tried to pick up like a, a much nicer, richer beer uh, for the evening time, some nice whiskey, which I know Enrique will get down on. I don't, I don't remember if Joachim is so much for liquor or not. Probably. Johnny would have that. He would also have probably like a bottle of some decent scotch, which I think he enjoys, but only in, in short kind of bursts, much like me, because that peatiness, man, it is, it's a force. It is powerful. So, Berserk, when does the sea monster appear? Oh, this would be a river monster, too. Or maybe a sea monster that just went up the river for reasons. Hell yeah, I love that show. River monsters? Fuck yeah, dude. I think at this point, I'm going to say Enrique gets a really hard tug on his line and almost gets pulled off. And just in time, Berserkir and Johnny just grab him and just we start fighting this whatever it is and it starts pulling the boat like in Jaws then suddenly it just jumps out of the water in front of the boat like oh there we go this is more like it and I don't know what Highwayman's gonna do but Berserkir's gonna grab their spear and just kind of jump in the water trying to spear this creature Um, as the boat has been has been being pulled down the river by this monstrosity. Johnny has been comically like holding his hat onto his head like they do in the cartoons. As soon as Joachim jumps in, he's like, God damn it, they were right about the fucking river monster. Fuck. And I think he pulls out, I don't think he has his like honest to God rifle. Like there's no reason or chance that he would have brought that. But I think he has like a small, like a light, just a very light rifle because you know we are sort of out in out in the in the wilderness you know it's better to have something just in case of wildlife or whatever so i think he starts trying to track where or whatever's in the water as best as he can and he's taught like as he does so he's just sort of rumbling under his breath just kind of saying things akin to sights on this rifle were absolutely atrocious i don't know who machined this but this is a this is a dismal piece of i, I can't believe they sell this to people um 
And I also probably think Enrique is just sort of breathing heavily in the back of the boat. And Johnny's just like, hey, you just sit back there, man. All right. Just like you stay you stay down in the bottom of the boat. All right. We, just, we don't need you getting tossed off into the into the water. And then at that point, uh, the the sea monster breaches and you just see Joachim stabbing it with their dagger while clutching onto the spear embedded into the creature. I also think we see Johnny go to fire a shot and then like for the first time that we've seen it on screen, I think the shot very intentionally goes wide because he like jerks the barrel kind of as he's about like as he's firing it because he sees Joachim just like absolutely just whipping this thing's ass and he's just like you see one of his eyebrows just kind of raising he's like well you you fucking look at that god damn I mean I knew they were sort of like a like a like a tank a little bit but whew, should I help should I do something I mean I'm like I'm not a bad swimmer but I'm not that good of a swimmer and I think he just like he pulls the gun and just like tries to aim it again but he's like now he's extremely cognizant of the fact that he might be like that he's trying not to get it anywhere near where Joachim is from either side. He doesn't want it to come out the other side of this monster and accidentally hit Joachim. I think at one of the breaches, they get that whole like action adventure comics kind of photo of this. And I don't know if Ludo wants to paint a picture of that. That would be pretty freaking awesome. This is the cover for this one. (laughs) But the fish, uh, the giant monster fish, which I think we decided as a toothfish monster, which I looked up and was like, whoa, that is pretty that that, that is pretty monstrous. That's a big fish. I bet it was bigger back in the day. Kind of knocks, goes through some mangrove roots. I don't know if there are other mangrove roots in these rivers or some sort of undercropping of under the water. Just just knocks Joachim off and swims away with pole and then the spear and the knife and everything. And Joachim swims back onto the boat and dang, that was my favorite spear. Oh, buddy, that's a that's a bummer. You all right? You you good? Everything everything sort of in its place? Uh, I think so. Maybe some head trauma, but that's uh, take a look. And I think we're just kind of looking the eyes. That's it. Everything should be fine. Joachim's a strong dem. Yeah, I think I think Johnny kind of gives it a look as best as he can. Like, yeah, you look like you're like you're all right. Maybe we should. I think we should break for lunch. Maybe seems like it might be a good time for us to just kind of take take a little breather. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you can dry out a little bit because you know you are uh, a bit soaked. So yeah, he steers the boat to get a little closer to the shore. They're definitely, I think, pretty far off of the course of the trip at this point. Like not in a wild, like they're probably just like quite a ways down river that they probably wouldn't have been at until quite a bit later in the day, which just ultimately means they can just have kind of a later lunch. How things go back to normal after that encounter or can even things get back to normal? I think when they go to start packing, first of all, like, I mean, like I said, this lunch takes quite a bit longer. You know, this is actually, I think, why uh, this is the second day. And I think this is this is the reason why the second day catch is so light is just because like this was the middle of the day and they were just like, I actually am tired. I don't really feel like I want to do a lot more fishing. So it's mostly just kind of chilling on the boat for the rest of the day. There's really not a lot of fishing involved. Yeah. We break out the good beer and good whiskey. Yeah, we do it. We do it early that day. That's just a chill day for the rest of the day. But yeah, after a good night's rest, I think the next day is relatively normal. I do think it is probably one of the main things that is talked about almost the entire time because 
it's there's not going to be a more exciting thing that happens than that, I don't think. So I think we're going to get to the station now. She'll dump them there and uh, they move to platform 13 where they wait for their train and you pay out the taxi driver. So what did the, did the highwayman give you as a sting of communication? Because you're probably not going to track Telex machine around. Did he give you a, a pager because he actually has one of those or something else? I think a pager. I, I think a pager is perfect. Yeah. So you get the message from your pager and uh, the number code there you recognize as it's a message for you to go to the nearest phone booth. I immediately walk over to the nearest phone booth. It, pardon, pardon, grab it. And you pull out an adapter because it's an email that you are receiving. So you plug into an adapter and uh, wait for it to print out the email. And the message is coming from the war room by way of uh, Buckingham Palace. And uh, it's informing you that Alba is coming with Snatcher in an armored train. And it's going to be arriving at Waterloo Station with the military escort any moment now. And it is declaring that you are the closest person that uh, can meet there. And you should make sure that nobody else gets to the former prime minister before you do. John Doe, as soon as he reads the on the way there now, out loud, just fuck. As soon as he sees the end, all right, tears it, detaches the adapter, and John Doe starts running. And as soon as he gets to an era where when he does his big jump, he's not going to knock anyone down, starts leaping and bouncing across the city of London like a Super Bowl. You're going to get into full board mode. So why don't we make this a challenge? Oof, a five. Okay, how about this? Um, You can succeed, but uh, someone else going to notice you throwing your identity around and jumping around town and uh, going to start either following you or going on the same direction or attack you. I'll take it. As you are going around, you hear a roar. And as you are jumping in between two buildings, a lion jumps over you. And as you turn around to see this massive stone lion, you see that a large balding geezer with an England jersey is riding atop of the lion. And after jumping over you, it continues to give you chase. And give chase uh, towards the direction of Waterloo. <laughs> John Doe at this, at a yell, just, who are you? And as a reply, the guy jumps again, but the aftermatch image leaves two stone lions for a total of three, and the two stone lions that are left behind circle around John Doe, crawling. I was really hoping not to run in to someone who could make stone lions. That's just a weird thing. 
You know what? Fine. You want to make your stone lions? I've got some complicated feelings. And so, and as John Doe's saying this, all of a sudden he's going to resume jumping again just to see if the banter distraction works. Okay, so that's going to be another challenge. This time is to distract, you know, <laughs> the massive stone lions and the guy that is racing you towards Waterloo so that you don't get the tackled by the lions or this guy gets you even more stuff. I'm going to argue principle of amnesia because most people would just be like, all right, let me just settle this with fisticuffs. John Doe is playing the fact that a lot of people are thinking, oh, this is John Doe. He's renowned for fighting around the world. And okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to fight you. I'm definitely going to fight. Just kidding. I'm not going to fight you. Okay, go for it. A nine. That's better. So tell me how you managed to outrun the lion through the busy streets of London. It's definitely like a full like John Doe as he's saying as well. I've got a lot of complex emotions I need to work through. He starts taking his, you know, very typical fighting pose. Uh, and as the lions circle closer, prepared for this, you know, this is John Doe. He's going to bust us up and that'll slow him down. At the last possible minute, John Doe leaps and takes some very complicated, difficult <laughs> jumping off flagpoles a gymnast's set of maneuvers to slip the lions and try to get there faster. Yeah, and uh, as you manage to catch up with the guy, he turns around in disbelief, hauling and looting at you, throws what seems to be a beer can at you that you easily dodge, and he has to Akita swerve as you approach a military checkpoint with the freaking tank approaching Waterloo Station and yeah, as this is slowing down what do you do? John Doe immediately while he's slowing down John Doe is a much smaller target most competent militaries aren't going to fire a tank round at a lone dude and John Doe's also going to start shouting at this point, I'm John Doe from System 4, official System 4 business this lion man is not with me not with me the state wants to sanction violence, that's fine time to do true judo maneuver use it to defend others yeah, that's very tricky especially when dealing with the British state, that's gonna be a challenge, that's fair uh, seven my proposal here is that you succeed, but uh, there is another actor introduced in the race. Oh, yeah, for sure. The Lion Man is out of the race, and now all of a sudden, like, what? where do these freaks keep coming from? And uh, you see the patrol clear the path. You see the gates moving to the side and the tank backing up, and you see them speeding up. And you wonder what is happening. You turn around and you see the beer can that was thrown at you is transforming in a giant metal woman wearing a trident and a heavy shield. And it's stabbing at you with the trident cackling with lightning. And before it connects, you hear the gentle double tap of Walter PPK. And you see spinning on the opposite direction a man that you vaguely recognize. You could only describe him, no, I could only describe him as 
James Bond by way of Dev Patel. And as he turns around, spinning his two Walter PPKs, your eyes lock and you are hit by memories of recognition. And you remember on the emergency craft after a plane crash, paddling down a mountain, you are alongside with this man and a woman that you don't recognize. And he seems distraught. And you remember the words from your mouth. No, it's not your fault. It happened. And you are either going to be a tool or not. But either way, you're going to have to do what you need to do. And as you turn around, he hits you in the back. And you lose conscious. And as you are fading out, you hear the woman say, Huh. So that's how you treat your friends. And you can hear the cry of the man as he speaks. Felix will understand. As he cries and ties you as comfortable as he can before leaving. And you remember that this is Agent Lazenby, the monocle, the ultimate weapon of MI6, the gun of empire that just saved your ass now. And you knew each other. Or at least he knows someone called Felix. That thought, the dominating thought, and the last thing you hear as he starts to fade out is just Felix. Yeah, so there is Monocle, there is the guy with the lion, and uh, there is a path clear. What do you do? John Doe, as soon as his brain regathers, he's just going to pop out of the ropes, take a second stretch, and bolt afterwards. Again, trying to do his super parkour. If he passes Monocle, he's just going to give him a look and just the name's John Doe. Yeah, you don't. Especially because at the same time, he just enters a Lotus S1 and starts racing past you. And you realize you outran the lion guy, but you're going to lose against Monocle. It's you versus a supercar. All right. John's thinking as he's running. Can I page her fast enough to get me there? I hate having to do this. She's going to be so annoyed. And I got to hope she's by her pay, her telex or a phone uh, to try and win this race. That I'm about to do the hardest thing John Doe's ever done. Where's Voidwalker usually at this time of day? Mm, well, do you even know the time of day, right? With the time zones? How good are you with this? Brad, as a player, fucking terrible. John Doe, honestly, is probably pretty handy at it because he's got to make lots of international communications. Yeah, you know that it's early in the morning, so it's actually one of the times in which she's actually on the war room. I'm going to zip into the nearest phone booth. And I'm sure I have some sort of like direct hotline number and I (laughs) enter it as quickly as possible. Come on, Voidwalker, pick up, pick up, pick up. And uh, you hear something on the other hand. Yes. Voidwalker. John, what's going on? Why are you calling me from the UK? I'm, you know, I'm doing that diplomatic thing and some guy just, he's going to beat me to be at the fucking train station. Uh, Waterloo, can you, I know I hate asking you to do it. Can you? Get me there quick. <sighs> okay, describe to me where you are. 
corner of I don't know any streets in London, just the corner of two of blah and blah. I'm in a phone booth specifically and I start like and John Doe because he does have that intuition, that super sense focus on things, starts giving as much information as he can. So how much this works depends how well are you able to convey Voivolker. So what you're gonna do as a simple challenge to try to convey as specific where you are so that this goes well. Intuition, conviction, intuition being just knowing the things she would really need, conviction to sound calm and confident because the last thing you want to do when someone's trying to teleport you is stress them out and my status die. And I'm actually going to argue that I should be able to take the max because with Principal Amnesia, a lot of people would start giving her things that they would think are important to teleporting, but because John Doe is the perfect himbo, his head is empty and he's just giving her all of the details and letting her pick the ones she needs. Okay, go for it. A four. So you're going to succeed, but you're going to be removed from reality for a moment, which is going to be the requirement for this. And you're going to be somewhere else on this moment. Is it? Do you accept it? Absolutely. All right. So you give the most accurate description that you can think, giving a connection that you think the it gives everything that Voidwalker needs, not only spatial, emotional ideas. You get all of it. And you can hear the strained breath of her on the other side. And you feel as if there is a knife cutting the air around you, severing you from reality. And the last thing that you can hear is a chair spinning and a heavy thud. As Void Walker falls in the ground, exhausted, and the phone goes dead, disconnected, and your instincts to check on her, you try, but it's too late. You are being transported, but this is not like a gate. This is not visualizing a place and going blink in and out. You have been removed from the reality for an instant. John Doe does not exist as a shadow cast upon the world. You are not part the word for this moment that seems to stretch together and does not even call counts as holding your breath just not anything until you rejoin the world and you're thinking this is going to happen at any non-moment but instead you are in a void place and you visualize a single spotlight and there are two shares and there seems to be the way that the shares are disposed. It's like there is a space for a third share, but there is nobody there. And you can sense a presence on the share, even if you don't see anyone. You can see some kind of massive shadow vaguely in the form of a woman. You don't know if you can move, but you feel a will. Like you still have the potential to do something. That no matter what your state you are, potential is always something that you can do. So what do you do or try to do? John, after looking, and he tries to just, uh, is someone there? And you know that it's not someone. And your use of someone seems to cause some joy. Is that that another shadow shadow that I hear? hear? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm John Doe. And you get the vague recollection and you see 
you can only describe it as a tornado of action, as a Gaussian blur in motion. And for a moment, you see a blue eye and golden hair. The shadow does not know. I recognize Keen. Which one are you? I, I just told you. I'm John Doe. No, not, no, the, not shadow. the shadow. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you mean? I am I the, am shadow, the shadow, shadow of eternal, eternal motion cast, cast upon, upon this world. world. I'm, I'm the, the inevitable, inevitable movement, movement of aliens. I am I the am one that never slows down. down. That's, That's who I am. I am. My shadow My does not does know your shadow, shadow, but I, I will know you know if you tell me who you are, because I sense we are keen. John Doe starts distinctly, his breathing getting heavier. His non-breathing getting not heavier. As he's just, I, I don't know what you mean. I'm John Doe. I'm, I'm not a shadow. I am then talking with the shadow. shadow. And uh, this will be the equivalent of looking to the camera. I'm, I'm talking, talking to the puppeteer. Who are you? So that so I might recognize you. And John Doe, for the first time, starts in the entire campaign so far, starts panicked yelling, who are you talking to? It's just you and I here. No, no. I'm talking, talking past, past you. you. I'm, talking I'm talking to, to the, the hand on the sleeve. And you're back. <laughs> you are covered in cold sweat and you suddenly you are back in reality. And that's how you notice how deprived you are. You can sense the air on your skin. You can sense your own temperature. You can sense your air on your lungs. You can sense the blood coursing to your vein. It is startling how unlimited the private you were on that moment. And your back covered in sweat in a platform in Waterloo. Oh, oh. John Doe is genuinely crying. Oh. What the... Okay, John, you're here. You're here. Where? We're looking around to figure out what platform he's at. And you think you are on the right place, but uh, there is no there is no train sight. Uh, what you see is that the whole station is closed and you can see a lot of military people that are very scared and surprised at how you make past the checkpoints on the pier here. Uh, so, sorry, I'm, I'm John Doe. I'm with System 4. Produces identifier. Uh, has... Snatcher's train arrived yet? And and uh, you see Monocle coming in. It's fine, boys. He's with us. And uh, there he is with the perfect British voice as he has been colonized by it. Agent Lazenby comes forward. Well, good to see you coming here, Felix. As you can see, the test was a success. We managed to flush out a few assassins. The name's John Doe. It's a pleasure to meet you, Agent Lazenby. Now, I suggest you go back, Buckingham Palace. No. Excuse me? I'm here to wait for the train. There's no train. This was a decoy. The entire purpose of this was to flesh out any will-be assassins, and we got uh, quite a few. Uh, and John Doe just looks hard at Lazenby. Monocle, I understand that usage of military power is free and easy here, but it seems like an awful lot of military power to set up a decoy. Captain, give me the daily paper. And uh, it pulls you and shows you some kind of freak on the top hat, blurry, and uh, 
the Westminster Killer strikes again. Twelve members of the former government were found dead last night. We have some quite expert assassins on the prowl. Someone with a vendetta against the former government is cleaning names from both Tory and the Labour Party. Anyone that they, for some reason or another, consider politically impure. They're taking out the trash. And that's not the least. And uh, he turns to another SAS officer, a lieutenant. Why don't you show us the photos? And uh, he shows you what seems like to be a tornado of teeth and wings. Impossibly black. See this? This is what they call a Morrigan. It's a terrifying spirit of vengeance. We had another team neutralizing it. It takes someone of great power to be able to summon one of these. Don't you think that we don't have enough problems? That we need to take this serious? That we need the decoy? It's not safe to take the Prime Minister back to London. John's gonna look hard at Monocle and then, uh, well, how long are you going to wait here for the decoy? Well, honestly, I'm gonna go for drinks now. The rest of the SIS gonna linger around a bit here. Do a cleanup, see if there are any other teleporters coming in. And honestly, I'm a bit disappointed. You usually have very good intelligence. You're on the cybernetic. I would think that you would be aware that uh, Alba Coriolis can teleport. Why will they take the train? Would you want to teleport with Snatcher? <laughs> good point. In addition to not wanting any claims of anything unusual, such as, I mean... There's a lot of reasons I can see a time traveler wanting to teleport. I'm going to keep an eye on my pager and wait around for a little bit because I don't trust Monocle not to just be lying. And uh, he does not seem to bother that you are hanging around. He goes out and you can see entering his Lotus S1 and driving away. John Doe's patient might even play like a round of cards or something with the local SAS guys who aren't you. Say one of the guys coming out from the smoke break. Oi, you're John Doe? That's right. There's someone on the phone for you. Perfect. Walk over. And uh, you hear it from the other side, both Soberana and Voidwalker screaming over at each other. John Doe, John Doe, how did it go? I'm here. I made it. I made it. You did not say anything. This has been hours. I... I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot. I... Teleporting's always weird. I, I saw some weird stuff. It's not a big deal. What happened? I'll tell you about it when I get back to Santiago. I don't really want to talk about it over a phone line that an SAS guy handed me. No offense. Plus, uh, someone from the old me was here recently, and I don't trust that they don't tap the line. Well, you cannot do this alone. I think you're right. I'm... And so Brenda says, Yeah, f- fuck the British... I'll get on the next plane. I'll try to get there. Subrana, I know the trouble they make for you. And I want to put you out. If you want to come, you can. But also, um, I'm going to... I fucking hate ruining their fishing trip. But I'm going to call in a highwayman and Yoki. But I wouldn't mind having extra hands, in all honesty. There's a guy who can control lions and a metal woman with a trident and monocles here. And you can hear frenetic tapping and uh, you can hear void walker cursing what's going on did you fight fucking john bull is that the lion guy yeah it seems like with the lion guy that's uh some fucked up uh, english nationalist 
did fight him. I uh, made him feel kind of dumb because he thought we were going to fight. Yeah, you got lucky. The guy has powers about matter manipulation, and uh, he can... What the fuck? This is manifest incarnations, which I have no idea what this is. We are talking someone that can create kaijus from the cityscape. Gross. You did well not engaging. Yeah, this is a... Uh, honestly, it's only his messed up... Uh, I don't know what that is getting on the way. He has a terrifying set of powers. Yeah, you cannot be with this kind of people around alone. Like I said, if you guys want to swing over, I wouldn't mind having a couple extra hands on deck. I want expert on magic, and I wouldn't mind having Highwayman here if someone can manipulate matter. Ring him. Uh, like I said, if you guys want to swing by, we'll get some fish and chips. And there's, I have a distinct feeling that I'm going to be avoiding destroying important historical landmarks before the week is out. Also, I don't know. Have you met Woke Jack? He's a talking bear. And, uh... <laughs> we call Philip. He's in the room. No, no. Here's the thing. A talking cetacean, that... Cetaceans speak. They communicate. They have bigger language centers than we do. We just don't understand it. Hi, Philip. Uh, but... There's a talking... Bear. Did not his... Grandfather was a Second World War hero. Yeah, the one. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, I mean, you know what they say about the kids of the greatest generation. Yeah, they're all a bunch of talking bears. <laughs> I I didn't think they said that specific, but all right, Void. I'm gonna. If like I said, if you guys are gonna swing by, just get a hold of me. Apparently this train station thing might have been a decoy. I'm going to wait a little longer just to make sure. They move it. They are not in Glasgow anymore. They are not, not been for a while, but 10 minutes ago, they were still on Helletois. It's where they are keeping the former prime minister now. It's probably smart. Yeah, but again, they were last check we had from a dose there is that, yeah, 10 minutes ago they were still there, so I think it was really a decoy. Yeah, I'm gonna hang out just another couple minutes to make sure plus I'm, I'm beating these SAS guys at cards. Yeah, but uh, another thing, nobody, very few people know that, uh, you know, Alba is really at Helletois, uh, so if you could get there and maybe from Scotland it could be easier to, you know, get out of the country before people notice that you are leaving. You know, maybe this whole thing is not worth it. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket, but let's be safe. If you guys decide to come visit, let me know. I got to make this call. I hate interrupting their fishing trip, but they should have known better than take a fishing trip when I was going to London. Well, to be fair, when they left, I was going to be the one on London. That's fair, but let me ring them. All right. Bye. Good night. Get some rest. We'll see. Hang up. Rotary phone. Dial the secret telex number. 912. Okay, so what does the meaning of that code mean? The cipher, when broken, just reads, find a landline, call me at this number, JD. Once he gets that, Johnny is... I think they were getting to the tail end anyways. They were kind of packing stuff up. He looks down when he gets this page and... Sort of sighs. We see him rub his temples a little bit, and then he kind of like just moves his fingers to the bridge of his nose. 
And then he kind of says to himself, well, at least we got the weekend in before we had to do anything. Hey, Joaquin. Yeah? Not to, I mean, I guess we don't have to cut anything short, thankfully, but it's like we've got business we got to go get taken care of. I got to find a phone and as quick as possible, we got to drop the boat off and then I have a feeling we're about to take a trip. Do you? Oh, Joy, I, I, I think there was a phone at the last refueling port. Yeah, we'll probably stop off there. Good call. Do you need anything? No. All right. Well, yeah, we'll get that set up and then start figuring out transportation for us. Uh, they load everything up with the boat. Um, Johnny, I think, is probably rented uh, to go with the boat. He's rented like a, like a, you know, like a Jeep or something like that. Something Jeep adjacent that he can hitch the boat up to. And then he is heading to the closest gas station that would be near here or the closest place that would have a landline. So, yeah, I think they just track up the river a mile or so back to the last time they, they saw one of those. And Johnny gets onto a landline and calls John Doe from this landline in the middle of nowhere. Crimson Gold Agonies is an associate of Court Games and D20 Raid. Joaquin Jarve, aka Berserkir, is played by Brent Torreson. They can be found at Copper Credit almost everywhere. Check out their other podcasts, Splinters of Jade and L5R Thriller Actual Play. They are available for editing work. Message them for rates. Johnny Jennings, aka The Highwayman, is played by Sam Sedlachter. They can be found at SGCA Delaysec on Instagram and Young Space Dead on Twitter. They are largely impressive. John Doe is played by Bradley Handler. You can follow him at Judge the Barbarian on Twitter or as co-writer on Split Roll, where he screams his opinions at you. Ludo handles the rest. You can find them at The Lettel and more of her stuff as Agonizing Crimson at Itchio or co-writing Split Roll. Sentinel Comics RPG is the property of Greater Than Games and designed in collaboration with Critical Hits. Crimson Gold Agonies is possible through the support of listeners like you. You can support us on Patreon or even better, you can review us on iTunes and you can spread the word because there is no better way to get into a podcast because a friend told us about it. <laughs>